0: In the name of our triune God who created us, who redeems us, and who gives us new life in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear people of God, this is a 1959 Chevrolet Corvette, and it is just. An absolutely beautiful car. And just look at, look at this thing. And as if it couldn't get any better than this, fast forward a few years to 1972 and you get the Corvette Stingray, which much more aggressively styled, sleek yet curvy lines. And at the same time, just, just aggressive looking to me. And this is a, a prime example of just classic American muscle. I could, I could look at this car all day. Fast forward a few years to 1988 and you get this, also a Corvette Stingray, but what, what in the world happened to it? I, I don't know. That, to me, the, the 80s, not really a wonderful decade for a car design at large, unless this happens to be your favorite iteration of the Corvette Stingray. I apologize for offending you, but it's just not mine. I mean, just think about what they did to the Mustang in the 80s, right? Took it from looking cool and turned it into a matchbox. Supposedly has a favorable power to weight ratio, but let's move on from this. Fast forwarding to this year, 2024. Corvette Stingray gets a new look and gets things back on track. This car looks Angry, like it's ready to gobble up the very road that it's rolling over. Looks like it can hug every corner like a supercar and the Corvette Stingray is back on track. Each and every one of these uh, iterations of the same version of car has the same aim, to improve, to take what was good from the previous years, and make a newer, better version of the same thing. We are new creations. We are not simply just a newer, better version, a slightly improved iteration of our old selves. We are entirely new creations. If a person is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then a new and a pure creation is what that person is. And how can that happen? Because the Lord Jesus suffered and died on the cross and rose again to make everyone new and pure. Pure. The death of the Lord Jesus on the cross means for us an exchange of animosity and hostility between ourselves and the Lord and replaces that with a friendly, a harmonious relationship. And that's exactly what reconciliation is. God reconciled us to himself by the bloody sacrificial death of his one and only very dearly loved son on the cross. And the message of that good news, the message of reconciliation has been entrusted to us by God to share with other people who know it, to to build each other up in that saving, comforting truth, but also to broadcast it to people who don't know it yet to tell them that the message of reconciliation, it kicks out and exchanges hostilities for love, for friendliness between God and people, but also between people and people. And Paul begins to explain all of these big and very excellent and important things by saying this, for Christ's love compels us Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore, all died. If you appreciate the love of Christ, then you will be compelled to live according to it. How can you not? Christ's love means the very best things for you, doesn't it? It means knowing exactly that, that the almighty God who who knows all things, who controls all things, loves you specifically and has forgiven you of absolutely all of each and every one of your sins and accepts you exactly as you are and gives you the realest, most profound sense of belonging because he brings you into his family now and into eternity. If that doesn't blow your mind and motivate your everything for everybody, why doesn't it? Why doesn't it? Maybe sometimes what can happen is that we forget to fully appreciate just how truly and deeply sinful we are by nature. And if we lose sight of that, if, if we don't appreciate that reality of ourselves, how in the world are we going to appreciate the depth of love and the depth of sacrifice that Christ went to to, to save us? Well, we can't in that case then, can we? Jesus saving love has to have an impact on us, right? I mean, it, it, it must Jesus going to the cross and dying in our place so that we would no longer live for ourselves but for him who died, that's why he went there. It wasn't just to give us eternal life, but it was so that we would live new life right now. So if you don't, if you aren't compelled by this love to live according to it, list some reasons as to why not Try to come up with a couple of good ones. But I bet that that list of good reasons for not living according to the love of Christ will be very incredibly short. We live for Jesus. We just have to because we want to. And then also by the Holy Spirit's power, we strive to live this life like Jesus. Jesus. Here's what Paul says next. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We are made to think like Jesus toward others. We must regard all other people the way Jesus regards them because scripture presents to us no other alternative. So we do this regardless of who the person is and maybe even before we have a personal react or interaction with the person we think this way regardless of what our perception of the person is and why do we do that because Christ's love compels us to do that jesus loves us as much as he loves that person whoever they are, so much so, in fact, that he was willing to be crucified and die on a cross for them. So when we start to think of people in, in those terms, in terms of Christ crucified, whatever feelings of hate and anger and disgust and, and frustration there are, when we see people who who believe and act and look and speak very differently than we do, those feelings will die and be replaced by love. And that's true. Even if somebody belittles us, mocks us, hates us, legitimately persecutes us because of our faith, we still see them and regard them as Christ does. We don't hate them. We don't retaliate back in kind. Instead, we have compassion on them. Our hearts go out to them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So we consider people through Christ and through the lens of the Holy Spirit, which is through goodness and kindness and gentleness and love and the desire to just... Be a a peacemaker toward that person, and we think that way, leaving no room for judgmental, Pharisaic thinking whatsoever. We have done nothing, nothing at all to earn the grace and the love of God, but we have it because of God's mercy. And the love of Christ compels us to see other people, all other people, as exactly that, objects of mercy, because that is exactly what they are. So God calls us to do that. But who does that well? (laughs) I I don't know anybody except Jesus, who does do a good job at this, because this is like practically mission impossible, right? But you can do this. And you actually do this because it's who you are. It's who God made you to be. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The person who is in Christ is a new creation. And it's as simple as that. The old sinful self and sinfulness at large in the person is dead and destroyed and gone and passed away. And a new believer is there, an entirely new creation. By faith in Jesus, believers experience a spiritual out with the old and in with the new. And that's just how it is. But, But what if I don't feel that way? What if I don't feel like a new, shiny, wonderful, good and right creation in the Lord Jesus? What if because of the sins I don't wanna do, but keep on doing, I don't feel like that at all. What if plaguing, powerful, persistent guilt causes me to feel like not a good person at all, not even to mention a pure creation in the Lord Jesus? That happens. And I'm not speaking in generalities here. I'm being frank and honest with you. I feel this way. What do I do in those times when I feel that way? I say to myself, Joe, just, just stop, just stop talking. Just be quiet and let Let God be God. The Almighty who sent the Almighty into this world has declared for Jesus' sake that if I believe in Jesus, I am a new and pure and loved creature a child of God with eternal life to look forward to whether or not I happen to feel like it at that moment because God is God and I am me. And when God declares things, I can't hold a candle to that. And who am I to object to the authority and the loving declarations of the almighty God? This is my go-to passage when I doubt who I am in the Lord, when I don't feel like it. 1 John 3, 19 and 20. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Let God be God and his declarations of new righteous creation be true for you. And why should you do that? Even if you don't feel like it, because God said so. Which, when parents say that, that's kind of like a cop-out, right? They just are exasperated at the end of a day, and they tell their kids to do something for like the bajillionth time, and the kids don't do it, and the kids say, well, why should I do this? And the parent just says, well, because I said so, that's why. They don't feel like explaining their rationale. It's kind of frustrating as a kid, but I find myself utilizing this line just all the time as a parent. When God says it to you, because I said so, just accept it and rejoice because it's true for you that you are a new miraculous creation of his grace your newness of being, your being right with God, the gospel compelling you to love and live for Jesus who died and rose for you. All this excellent stuff that we've been talking about is God's gift to you. Paul says it this way, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And God did all of this excellent stuff for us when we were totally undeserving of it. Paul says in Romans 5, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Jesus' death on the cross, God removed the source of strife between him and us, which is our sin. We are saved because of that. And if that wasn't marvelous enough, then God goes on to make us reconcilers on his behalf. The gospel of Christ crucified, the very thing that saves us and gives you eternal life to look forward to has been given to you complete with all of its joyous imperatives of going and seeking and finding and loving and serving and sharing the message of Christ crucified. The work of serving and carrying out the gospel's call has been given to you by God which seems like a massive tactical error on God's part, which isn't me insulting you at all because I'm a person too, and I know how we are. We have this nasty propensity to sin all the time and mess everything up. So why would God do this? Well, God God knows what he's doing. God has placed his treasure in us, jars of clay and we're frail we fail we break but the gospel doesn't the gospel is unbreakable and the spirit who works so powerfully in the gospel does the heavy lifting when you share with another sinner that Jesus has forgiven them and taken away all their sins and in that work that loving work. You don't even have to make anything up. Please don't do that. In fact, just say this excellent stuff, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is what God wants you to share with people without the slightest restriction or hesitancy about with whom you share it. You have been made new. You have been made pure in Christ and by Christ's love for this exact purpose. So be who God made you to be, an ambassador of Jesus who, like Paul and the other apostles, went out and were literally begging people, to believe that God had put humanity right with him by crucifying his own son, Jesus. And when you do that, you are doing the exact same thing that God does. You ever think about that for a little bit? That the, the holy, the pure, the loving, the righteous God, who is as a matter of routine, Mocked and insulted and rejected and just dismissed and thought little of by people, turns immediately right around and begs those very same people to get right with him by believing in the gift of his Son that he's given to the world. What's that say about God's heart? It says that he wants everybody to believe in Jesus and to be saved. The big love that Christ has for you compels you to say so to people. So just do that. Just say it. And say this too. This next verse, this is an excellent verse. This is God's great exchange in a sentence. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him... We might become the righteousness of God. Doesn't God do an excellent job of giving us the very words to say? He absolutely does. The only Son from heaven who never, ever once sinned, never came anywhere close to it, became sin, having taken on my sin and your sin. At, a crushing burden of sin and guilt and perversion and nastiness. And he bore that crushing burden in his perfect sinless body on the cross to kill it and destroy it there. And he died and our sin died with him. And he rose, but our sin did not. But we did. When he did that, he, the Lord Jesus, at the very same time gave you perfect love his satisfactory obedience his righteousness do you believe in jesus nods of approval right yes yes you do then you are his righteousness because he became your sin and god's just begging you to keep on believing that You are a new creation because you are in Christ. The old is gone. The new is here, taken away by Jesus. So live for Jesus. His love compels you to. You are reconciled to God by Jesus who died and who rose for you. You are right with God. Amen.